When I was a kid growing up in Jersey, uh, anybody who was a hoot or really funny or something, uh, we'd call them a riot. Ladies and gents, uh, this guy's a riot in more ways than one. Bob Dylan. Every step of the way, we walk the line. Your days are numbered. So are mine. Time is piling up. We struggle and we scrape. We're all boxed in. Nowhere to escape. This is Pod Dylan, the show that celebrates the work of Bob Dylan, one song at a time. Proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. I'm your host, at Freewheeling, Rob Kelly. And joining me to talk about Mississippi from 2001's Love and Theft is returning Bobcat and my pal, Jason MD. Hi, Jason. Hi, Rob. How you doing, man? I'm doing great. It's always happy to have you back on the show, man. Yeah, it's great. You like being married? I do. I really do. It's quite enjoyable. Yeah, that's true. The last time you were on, right? I think it was pre-wedding, I believe. Yes. So yeah, now we're in, we're in the post-wedding bliss. Yes, it's absolutely uh, fantastic. Post-wedding I, bliss. I, I, I recommend it to anybody uh, so inclined. Let's say it's not not for everybody, but for the people that are. It's, uh, if you're so inclined, I think it's it's a great it's a great move. So we're not here to talk about me, Jason. We're no, talking about Mississippi. Rob, I want to tell you that you. You caught me on a really great day today. Uh, Good. It's a Saturday, so I got to sleep in, which mitigated my hangover somewhat. That was helpful. I had the house to myself today, which I really liked. It was just me and the cats, and they were being very charming. (laughs) So I enjoyed that. Um, I went to the to the boxing gym, had a great session there. You know, then you know after that, you feel like you've done something with your day. And on the way to and. From the boxing gym, I was listening to your other podcast about uh, a fade out. Uh, yes, with, about the 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 Batman screenwriter there. I forget mm-hmm. the gentleman. Warren Scarron. Yeah, great episode. Really enjoyed it. It brought up a lot of uh, tender, beautiful seventeen-year-old memories for me. I enjoyed that. Came home. There's my lovely family. Everybody being just as charming as the cats. And then I went for a walk just to get ready for this. Um, it was a great day, but the very best thing, Rob, of the whole day, and to explain it properly, I'm going to have to go back in time to 2020 when my father was going to come and visit, and I had purchased tickets for us to see Dylan in Tokyo. It's the first time my dad and I would get to see Dylan together, and to see him in Tokyo, it's, it's going to be super fantastic, great, you know. And then, of course, uh, the tour was canceled. My father's visit was canceled because of COVID and so on, and he hasn't been since. But we've been planning uh, for him to come back this year in April. And then I went on to Pod Dylan today just to check, and lo and behold, he's announced Japan dates for April. Oh, have did you, he? Oh, I didn't have know you that. seen this? Okay. No, yeah. no, no. Not only Japan dates for April, but he's also going to play in Nagoya this time. Three nights in Nagoya. Now, Nagoya is only 20 minutes away from where I live by train. So that's a lot easier than going up to Tokyo. Moreover, he's going to be playing in the same venue where I saw R.E.M. in 2005. It's this fantastic hall. I think it's an opera hall, actually. When I saw R.E.M. there, it was the just the best sound I've ever heard in a at a concert ever. So Bob is going to be there and I'm going, I'm going to go with my dad and it's, you know, just to revenge on 2020, man. So <laughs> I'm in a phenomenal mood. <laughs> I'm all hyped up. Here well, we go. It, right. Well, it's late your time. So, I mean, this would be, is this going to be the last thing you do of the night before you go to bed? Is this, is this the, the capper of the day, basically? Uh, I might celebrate a little. 
Okay. All right. Well, let, let's end the day on an up note then. <laughs> now you mentioned, you've mentioned to me, uh, for a while that Mississippi is mm-hmm. one of like what you said, top three favorite Dylan songs. Is that, yes. is it, you said that like up to me was up there, which is that was the last time you were on the show. You talked about up to me. Now, of course, we've covered Mississippi on the show before, but that was like five years ago. And since then, of course, the fragments box set has come out, which has earthed, uh, unearthed two more versions. We already knew about the three alternates that were on Telltale Signs. Now there's two more, thanks to Fragments. Again, Bob is really doing the show a solid here by constantly putting mm-hmm. out alternate takes of these songs so we can reconsider them for the show. So now we have all of like six versions of Mississippi to perm from not even talking about live ones. I mean, who knows? Maybe there's even more that they're holding back or some other box set or something, but so why, why Mississippi? What? Let me, all right, let me ask this was Mrs. Is did Mississippi lodge itself into your brain and into that exalted position of like top three from the love and theft version, or has it been that plus the telltale signs? How did it sort of get there? Okay. There's a, there's a wonderful Pavlov story. Well, wonderful to me. I don't know how interesting it is to other people. But um, in 2001, so I think it was in March. So six months before Love and Theft came out. I think it was that March. Uh, my brother was also living here in Japan. And we went to go see Dylan in Nagoya. Uh, it was my second time and my brother's first time. And it was my brother. He was a much bigger and earlier fan of Dylan uh well, compared to me, and had been seducing me into Dylan over the years. Mm. Uh, but just to go with him and a couple other friends, it was their first time too. It was terrific. And it was a great show. It was a fantastic show. And then six months later, okay, so we knew the release date was September 11th, but I think it was the Friday because we had to work. So that would have made it the, because September 11th was a Sunday, right? A Tuesday. What? Was it? Yeah, it was a Tuesday. Okay. So I'm totally screwed up on what day it was. Well, we went a day ahead of the release. So yeah, it might have been that, it must have been that Monday then. And to a CD shop here in Gifu. And I said, I I was with my brother. We had to go to Nagoya for work or something. And I said, let's go, let's go get it. He said, they're not going to sell it to you the day before. I said, it's there, man. It's in a box. (laughs) It's in a box. Yeah. Let's go get it. So we, the way I remember it is we just went up and we didn't have to bully or cajole the guy. We just said, do you have the new? T-? Yeah, sure. And he went in the back and <laughs> came out with two CDs. And <laughs> Street date, Schmidt date. <laughs> yeah, no, it was terrific. And then we, so we had this 20 minute train ride to Nagoya and I had a, I had a portable CD player. Do you remember those? Oh, yes. Um, oh, oh, yes. <laughs> wow. 2001. So, so we get on the train and we're both super very eager to hear it you know but so i i think i pulled rank and said look i'm gonna listen to the first song then you can listen to it then i'll listen to the second song and he went okay <clears throat> so i listened to uh what is it tweedledee and tweedledee tweedledum yeah not yeah didn't didn't not nothing much happened for me i thought eh, i don't know so i passed it to him and and I, just like he'd been watching me, so I'm watching him as he's listening to it. Nothing much happened for him either. And then he passes it back and I go to track two and I put on Mississippi. And yeah, he's watching me and he's going, and he's checking all my reactions. And I must have been sort of gasping and gaping and going, right, yeah, oh, ah. Oh. And he can't hear what I'm listening to. Right? I'm just, <laughs> and then I hand it back to him and then he listens to it. And I'm watching him just as intently and... 
watching, just seeing his eyebrows go up or go, Ooh, Oh, good one. And then I remember him saying, possibly with that slightly elevated voice that people use when they're listening to music in, you know, on headphones, uh, saying, Oh, not as tight as the corner that I painted myself in. Oh, <laughs> good one. Yeah. So I just have that memory of, uh, you know, listening to it on the train back and forth. And yeah, I loved it from that first listen. It knocked me out. If that answers your question. Yeah, no, totally. Uh, <laughs> now, did you, now, did you listen to it again right then and there or did you move right on to summer days? You'd like, let, let me listen to it all the way through. Yeah. Once, all the way no, through. I think we were sort of nearing Nagoya at that time. So we might have sort of just listened to a little bit of like, what, what else, you know? I think those were the only two we listened to the whole way through <laughs> watching each you. other's faces. Yeah. But I fell in love with it that very first time. And I've never fallen out of love. In fact, it it could be the, the only Dylan song that I never, ever have to take a break from. Like, I never get sick of it. Hmm. I don't think I've listened to Up To Me since you and I talked about it, because I listened to it so much getting hmm. ready for our talk. I don't think I've listened to it since. But uh Mississippi... Yeah, and just never, ever get sick of it. I mean, it's absolutely one of his most, uh, I'd say, quotable songs in terms of like how many lines you can pull from it where you just go like your like your brother did. You just go, wow. You know, mm. uh, I mean, now I will say like the refrain, this song, this song always loomed very large in my imagination because I had first heard of it. And I'm sure I mentioned this on the first episode we did on it. Uh, but. I had first heard of this song through that interview that Jim Dickinson did, which is like, if I go three episodes without mentioning that Jim Dickinson interview, it'll be amazing. But that was in that interview, he mentions Mississippi as a song cut for Time Out of Mind, and they didn't use it. And he only remembered the refrain, which was the only thing I did wrong, stay in Mississippi, did too long. But I hadn't heard the song, and I just was like, there's this other song, like knowing how much I loved Time Out of Mind. Like mm. there's this other song out there, and wow, what a phrase! And just that phrase. If there's only one thing I did wrong. It stayed in Mississippi a day too long. Now, I will admit, I didn't know up until fairly recently he didn't write that. That didn't diminish the song to me. The fact that no. you know that he, I was like, okay, he took. I mean, again, it's the damn title. The record is Love and Theft, but I mean, it's one of those like, okay, he he found that phrase somewhere and stuck it in this song, and it is just, in the context of the song, it is so wonderfully memorable that it didn't bother me anymore that he didn't write it. I mean, yeah, I thought, wow, that's an incredible turn of phrase, but there's so many incredible turns of phrases in this song that I'm in kind of like, well, even if every one of them is taken from something else, he put them all together in this different context, which again, which makes the song just one of his most lyrically dense and lyrically quotable. I mean, just again, so many people know the my I've been uh, my ship's been splinter splinters and it's sinking fast. Got no future, got no past. I mean, this thing is just such a a, a garden of incredibly memorable lines. This this bit about lifting stuff, or you know, some people say it's plagiarism. Some people don't care. Whatever it is, uh, I found this recently in. I think his name is Seneca, Seneca, I don't know, one of these Stoic from the ancient times. This is what he had to say. I think I think you'll find this uh, apropos, Rob Kelly. He <laughs> says, say my whole name. He says, we also, I say, ought to copy those bees and sift whatever we have gathered from a varied course of reading. Then, by applying the supervising care with which our nature has endowed us, in other words, our natural gifts, we should so blend 
those several flavors into one delicious compound that, even though it betrays its origins, yet it nevertheless is clearly a different thing from that whence it came. I love that. A delicious compound. I think mm-hmm. that's what Dylan is very often doing is he's, he's, he's listening to all that stuff and, you know, he seems to be a, a voracious reader as well. He's just plucking things out of all, you know, from all over the place and making a delicious compound out of it. So I don't care where he's getting it from. I don't <laughs> care if it's, you know, Mississippi penitentiary songs or, or ancient Stoics or Shakespeare or Yakuza books or Right, right. Titanic or whatever. Don't give a shit. I really don't. But I've tried to track down this this line. Uh, you know, the only thing I can't find it. It's it's a mystery. There, it's a Hardy Boys mystery. There are all these hints <laughs> that yeah, there's some song that he, but I can't find it. What is it about this song that so that 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 rings your bell so so prominently? That, that rings my cherries. Well, I don't know. I was thinking about this. It's you know, there are different types of songs. You know, there are songs that are just, uh, okay, maybe just narrow it to Dylan songs anyway. Sort of some that are just entertainment. You know, you just listen to them and you don't feel compelled to attach yourself to it or try to figure it out. I'm thinking about something like Desolation Row. You know, I just I just let that play like a movie, right? Mm. Then there are others that are maybe mysteries to to solve if that's, you know, in your line. But then there are songs that are sometimes personally useful, right? They, <laughs> because they, I don't know, they either clarify something for you or they, they, they explain something about your own experience to you that you weren't poet enough to do yourself, you know, or they offer another view of something that you had already decided about. <laughs> Wait a minute, I can rethink that. For me, this was one of those. This was a personally useful Dylan song like when on the train listening that day when he said been in trouble ever since I set my suitcase down I thought that's that <laughs> there I am that's me thank goodness Bob but I never would have put it so so succinctly and so beautifully <laughs> you know because I'd been in Japan and you know just my uh, chaotic and absurd <laughs> life for a couple of years you know, a lot of blunders and fiascos. I thought, yeah, that's great. It, it, do you know what I mean? When there's a line where you go, you, that you can apply to your own life. Oh, absolutely. Even, even sure. if only to yourself, you know, like you're not going to brag about it in bars, but just that. Yeah. And this song is full of those moments for me. There was that one. There's, you know, even things that aren't that poetic or, or, or complicated, but just. I know you're sorry. I'm sorry too. And you go, mm. oh, God, it's so beautiful and so true, and and so often true. Unfortunately, yeah, stuff like that. There was, there were just things that seemed to apply to my life, and that doesn't always happen with songs that I love. Uh, there's not much in Up to Me that applies to my life, for example. Mm-hmm. But but, I, it, but know, it still cuts deep. So yeah, but I kind of like those ones where you can sort of see yourself in it somehow or again it 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 can give a bit of just a, a an image to your own life that you wouldn't have picked yourself and i like that i that image of i've been in trouble since i set my suitcase down <laughs> still still fantastic it's great because you're right into you know trouble 
you know, mm-hmm. every time you go somewhere, it's wonderful. So what about you, Rob? Why do you love this song? Well, okay. I, I will admit that this, uh, there is very few, I, I never said there's very few Bob Dylan songs I don't like. And maybe Ballad and Plain D, I would actually say I don't like. There's mm. very, very few. I would count on one hand the amount I would say I don't like. This one, I like this one, but on, as the love and theft take, I was never that in love with it. I liked it and certainly lyrically it was great, but the tune itself never did a whole bunch for me. Um, mm. and then when Telltale Signs came out and the alternates, three of the alternates came out, first of all, you got one of the alternates that has lots of different lyrics, which I'm presuming is the earliest version that we've got. And then he rewrote it. And then the, the rewrite is the version that's re- been retained through the other four versions of it. And the other, you know, I'm, again, I did can't possibly understand Bob's process, but it seems like it would make sense that these early lyrics are again, they're, they're early lyrics because in the alternate version, he's got, I'm standing in the shadows with an aching heart. I'm looking at the world tear itself apart in its tender hours, hours turned to days. I'm still loving you in a million ways. Well, I've been loving you too long. I know you ain't no good. It don't make a bit of difference to me. Don't see why it should. <laughs> Everybody's moving. God knows where, but I'm still here and you're still there, which is <laughs> absolutely, I really wish he'd retain that. But anyway, so then <laughs> Telltale Signs comes out and then there's that kind of funkier version where he's kind of whispering, whispering the, 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 the vocal a little bit. Yeah. And that when I think of as the, it's the evil dark Hamlet version. <laughs> <laughs> that one really popped with me and it made me kind of go, why didn't he use this one? You know, oh, why didn't really? that, why didn't he Ugh. use this one? I kind of like this one a little better. There's, there's something about the phrase. And I mentioned this on the fragment show with Jeff Slate, the, 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 it was the only thing I, it was only one thing I did wrong. I stayed in Mississippi a day too long. That, that, that those two lines to me have a sort of, comedic wink to them in their cleverness you know there's just it's such a clever turn of phrase again whether bob wrote it himself or took it from him i don't care but it's so clever that to me it it needs a slight wink in the vocal and then in the tune and the one on love and theft to me doesn't have that and these alternate ones do and then we'll talk about the ones on fragmency as well mm-hmm. shortly but so to me, this is a song that's always existed a little more interestingly as an alternate kind of thing right. than, than okay. the one on love and theft. I will admit that. But again, lyrically, like you say, there's so much in here. I, I've always had a tough time fully. I've been reading on it and there's people are talking about that. There's this, of course, like most Bob songs or a lot of Bob songs, there's the micro and then the macro. You know, there's the story he's talking to this individual person, but then there's this larger theme that he's embracing. And again, people have talked about that. It's this song for some people is about the fall of America. You know, it's about right. the, 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 yeah. the absolute it's America's broken promises and it can never be fixed. And then that's reflecting itself in this personal relationship that he's got. I, for the longest time, had a tough time ferreting that out. Exactly of what exactly he was saying, but I was able, as you were saying, to pick individual little pieces. Now I will say right after this record came out, of course it was in the days after nine 11, people were finding lyrics in this record that seemed to be talking about nine 11. Obviously it couldn't be, but Bob is ever North 
And it seemed like, did he know something in this sort of, you know, weird ionosphere that he was honing into? And the one of the lines I think about, which is in this opening verse, which is the sky full of fire, pain pouring down, nothing you can sell me. I'll see you around. I mean, that's what people thought about. The sky is full of fire because they're looking Mm -hmm. up and they're seeing the buildings and things are falling and it's just this nightmare scenario. But then also there's nothing you can sell me. I'll see you around. There's something so wonderful about, and maybe that line isn't reflective of the line before it, but to me, I always pair them up because I remember those, those week, those days, those weeks, those months afterwards. And all everything up to that point felt so trivial, you know, like everything that we had been worrying about before then just felt like such nonsense now with this new reality and the idea of nothing you can sell me. I'll see you around. That to me is incredibly powerful because it just felt like, all right, I'm focused in a way that I was never focused before. So I don't have time for nonsense and bullshit and don't sell. I no, there's nothing you could sell me. Just I'm now focused on this other thing. So that particular in this opening verse, that one was really mm. powerful. And it stayed with me even as 9-11 is 20 years in the past. There's something about there's nothing you can sell me. I'll see you around the way that kind of very cocksure delivery Bob has of just not falling for whatever someone is trying to pull over on him. I I love that. Well, okay. That's not that's not <laughs> how I took it, but Okay, go ahead, yeah. That's the whole point of this, isn't it? Right. Mm-hmm. I certainly not at first, but now I think that well, <laughs> what I think is not important, but that the That's not true, Jason. That's why you're here. What are you talking uh, about? Oh, right. What I think is very important. So here's what I think. It, that I think now that the narrator of this song, and this is something we should get into too, it's, you know, the narrator, the voice in the song versus Dylan himself, because I think there's lots of interesting stuff going on there as well. But I think he's in jail right up until, oh, that whole first, it's not even, what do you, I've got it split up sort of three ways, like from every step of the way to, you know, only one thing I did wrong. Yeah, on so, right on BobDylan.com, they break it up in a very unusual, like it's a gigantic verse. I mean, the verse yeah. is like 20 lines. It's kind of an it's unusual structure for how they're choosing to put the lines in here. But I I see it now as the narrator is in jail for the first part, hmm. right up until the first, only one thing I did wrong was stay in Mississippi a day too long. That's like that first uh, you know, it's whether he's in jail or not. I mean, who knows? I I, I can't really back it up. It's just how I feel. But, <laughs> you know, it's 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 oppressive and it's claustrophobic, right? Mm-hmm. You know, time is piling up. We struggle and we scrape, you know, <laughs> nowhere <laughs> to escape. Um, and I kind of that we walk the line in the in the very first line. That reminds me of that scene in Clockwork Orange. Do you remember that when they're getting their exercise? And they're just walking on the oval. I think it's the oval in the concrete. Do you remember that? I vaguely. I've certainly seen that movie a few times. Yeah. Well, that's how I always. We walk the line. I mean, what does that mean to you, Rob Kelly? Walking the line. Well, I mean, I feel like he's immediately quoting Johnny Cash. Uh, certainly. Uh, but walking the line is like he talks about in a lot of this, like staying straight. You know, staying on the straight and narrow, that kind of thing. It's uh, following the, the rules. Yeah, following the rule with the whiskey's in the jar and the money's in the bank, you know, that kind of thing. I'm just doing what I'm supposed to be doing. Yeah. Well, again, 
there is always room to maneuver, which is what I love. And I'm not trying to lock it down 100%, but every step of the way we walk the line, it's in present tense, right? He's in, he's in jail. Your days are numbered. So are mine. For me, that's, that's either a very cruel thing to say to somebody. <laughs> Rob Kelly, your days are numbered. <laughs> what? Oh, well, God. So oh. are mine. But I don't know. Maybe there's a little, because there is, a, I think, a lot of humor in this song. Is that a is that a prison joke? Like, your days here, walking the line, are numbered? So are mine. You know, we're going to get out. Mm. Time is, I mean, time is piling up. When, how does time pile up? That certainly feels like a jail, somebody in jail. Yeah. Yeah, just counting the days, scratching the, the, the numbers off on your yeah. cell wall. But it's such a drag. Like, it's, mm-hmm. it's heavy on you. You know, it's... Otherwise, it flows, you know. Uh, mm-hmm. We struggle and we scrape, all boxed in, nowhere to escape. You know, I, maybe it's a simplistic interpretation, but for me, that does sound like he's, you know, he's clearly oppressed, <laughs> <laughs> but could be jail. Um, raised in the country. Oh, yeah, I love that again. Uh, now, that whole got nothing for you, had nothing before don't even have anything for myself anymore that i love how it can go in several different ways and again this comes back to me for me how dylan's sort of playing with his his his, his own image but also this you know jailbird drifter image in this song got nothing for you <laughs> i had nothing before can you imagine <laughs> dylan saying that to you when you corner him on the plane, <laughs> Bob, I love your music, and I do a whole podcast. Of it. Man, I got nothing for you. <laughs> that would, oh God, it'd crumble up into dust at that point. I had nothing before. <laughs> I don't even have anything for myself anymore. Like there are several moments in this song that I sometimes sort of hope it's not a character, but it's Bob peeking through a bit. <laughs> you know. That's one that I think might be, Jim, you know, I don't have anything for you, man. <laughs> Whatever you, it is that you think I am, you know, I'm not that. I wasn't that before either. And Jesus, now I'm kind of <laughs> exhausted with all this bullshit <laughs> I have to put up with from people like you. you know, oh, man. Yeah. You and me melting <laughs> into yeah. Wizard of Oz, <laughs> bubbly, uh, green. Is that the right image? Well, when she melts, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's bubbly and green, right? Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She just turns in that little puddle. And just burp, yeah. burp, burp. I don't yeah, know yeah, if absolutely. I'd be green. I'd be some less attractive color. But yeah, yeah I I do think there are a couple times that he does that through this song where you, it, you, you, you're, you can allow yourself to think it might be him. That was the first one that struck me. I got nothing for you. <laughs> I had nothing before. There are a couple others like later, you know, where I really hope it is where he goes, but my heart is not weary. It's light and it's free. I got nothing but affection for all those that sail with me. That's such a great line. It's such a great line. And I really hope it's, he's not, he just didn't whip it up and put it in this drifter's mouth that maybe he feels that way, but it's hard to tell. It's hard to tell. I've entirely lost my train of thought, Ross Kelly. What was I talking about? Well, let me let me go to let me go to something in the second verse. Okay, when he or revert whatever the second chunk of lines. Oh I, wait, I can't, so, oh, wait, oh, yeah, I got no. it. No, but back to jail, like that. Um, 
nothing you can sell me. I'll see you around. That is, sort of suggests, you know, yeah, okay. <laughs> like, I got no money anyway. And yeah, heard you jive. I don't need to buy your whatever it is you're selling, but I'll see you around the cell block. That's how I sort of see it. <laughs> okay. Now, All right. You know, but, and then into one of the great jokes, possibly all my powers of expression and thoughts so sublime. Like, is this jailbird drifter talk or is this Dylan, right? This is mm-hmm. Dylan, I think, poking fun at himself a bit. Could never do you justice in reason or rhyme. Only one thing I never did wrong. And then that's a joke that goes through the whole, well, joke, a bit of humor. It's not a wackety schmackety do joke. It's just <laughs> that. But what did he do? He never explains. Yeah, what's the one thing? Yeah, what's the... <laughs> He's tell, he gives us a lot of information, but he never bothers to tell us what he did wrong. You know? Right. Anyway, I just sort of think that he's in jail this in the first this first chunk. Okay. All right. I, again, okay. I haven't really quite thought of it that way, but absolutely valid. Um, and so in the, in the second verse, when he says the devil's in the alley and the mule's in the stall... Say anything you wanna, I have heard it all. See, say anything you wanna, I've heard it all. That reminds me a little bit of just, I got nothing to, nothing to sell me. I'll see you around. It's kind of right. shruggy, you know, all right, whatever, whatever, whatever. Well, it's also what Dylan would say to you or I. <laughs> yes. Oh, yeah. Oh, Bob, I have 250 episodes of it. You say anything you want. I've heard it all. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh, God. Uh, why, why are we crafting ways to embarrass myself in front of Bob Dylan? Why would, why would I even think about that? But anyway, so I was thinking about the things that Rosie said. I was dreaming I was sleeping in Rosie's bed. Now, okay, obviously, as we just talked about, there's the song Rosie, the old prison song Rosie. And most people point to that and say, well, that's Bob just kind of almost owning up to his source by name checking the girl in the song. And I can't argue with that. I can only go by what I heard in my head when I heard this song. And it... it it tends to be that when you when you craft your own quote unquote meaning to something, it sticks in your head regardless. Even if Bob himself comes out and goes, "No, that's not what I was thinking," it doesn't matter. And you you've you know it 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 made that first groove in your brain, and that's it, and you're done. And so for me, I will say when I hear Rosie, right? What's what do you think of when you hear that name, Jason? If anything, I go straight to. ACDC, don't I? <laughs> I like how you roses. said that like it's obvious. Okay. No, no, I don't actually. That's not even true. I, I mean, there may I, not be anything. You may not. I'm, I'm not trying to yeah. not read a corner with the meaning. No, when I first heard it, I thought, oh, that's what sort of he's missing in, and, and, and talking about. But thinking about it now, I think Rosie's a separate character. Rosie mm-hmm. is not the, the, the you that he's talking about all this time. Rosie is this, I don't know, represents comfort and um, wisdom, actually. And maybe we can come back to this in the third chunk of lyrics, because I I like to think that Rosie says to him, you can always come back, but you can't come all the way. It Rosie reminds me of Bertha Mason in High Water. Who is she? Who knows? Just somebody <laughs> telling him something useful. <laughs> Right, <laughs> he's got a lot of women in his songs that are telling him useful stuff. That's yeah. a, that's a big thing. Very dispens oracles, dispensers of wisdom. <laughs> yes, strange women. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, telling him what's happening, you know, and what he should pay attention to. That's how I see it now. That again, I still think 
uh, the narrator is in jail here and he's dreaming about sanctuary, a, a release from this oppression. He's not dreaming that he's screwing Rosie in her bed, right? Mm-hmm. He's only dreaming that he's sleeping in her bed. Mm-hmm. There's something in that that is, it just means comfort and, and safety and sanctuary. That's how okay. I see that. How okay. about you? Well, listen, for me, when I hear the name Rosie, I think of Rosie the Riveter. That is the first image that pops into my head. Mm-hmm. And I think about, so, and again, it, it, it may be, you know, quote unquote wrong, but when that first thing gets put into your head, that's it. To me, it tends to stay there. And yeah. so I hear that and I think, well, he's talking about Rosie the Riveter. Well, what is Rosie the Riveter? Well, that's an icon of the, of the World War II era of the United States, which Bob grew up in. He was born in 1941. You know, I mean, he was a little young. He would have been four, you know, he was only four when the war ended, but nevertheless, the war, the, the you know, it, hung in the it's still it's still part of our history now but imagine bob being eight nine it was fresh people were coming home you know it was still still and so when i hear about the interpretations that people have of the song that this song is about america itself and the failure of america to live up to its ideals and it's in the you know and and specifically the treatment of African Americans and again by putting placing it in Mississippi I mean the song's not called New Jersey you know the song's not called Florida it's called Mississippi but when I hear Rosie the Riveter I think is that of a piece with that theme of how America has treated women as well it treats mm-hmm. African Americans very poorly but also treats women v- very poorly it treats them like second class citizens it treats you know and it may not all make any sense, but to me that I can't separate that. So I think about this is, is this a guy, is this song set in the wartime and this guy, right? Maybe he's in jail. Maybe he's overseas. I mean, people, you don't, you don't have a, you don't have a suitcase exactly when you go overseas, when you've been, you have like a duffel bag or something, you're going to give in a suitcase like you're traveling. So again, it doesn't all really make sense but i'm Mm. i'm down on the groove here jason is that this is the i can't separate that that image in my head when i hear it and i think of like is this a guy who's overseas and he's dreaming of the days when he was with rosie you know the his the the Mm. woman back in back in america and we you know america after all the men came back all the women that were working in the factories and were were keeping the country humming were told all right, go back to be housewives then. You know, thanks for thanks for all that hard work. Thanks for learning all these new trades, but now go back to just being kind of second class citizens because the men are back. And I wonder if that's something Bob was hinting at in this song. But again, hmm. it's it maybe completely out of nowhere. Well, to quote Bob himself from Philosophy of Modern Song, that's the problem with a lot of things these days. Everything is too full now. <laughs> <laughs> we are spoon-fed everything. All songs are about one thing and one thing specifically. There is no shading, no nuance, no mystery. Perhaps this is why music is not a place where people put their dreams at the moment. Dreams suffocate in these airless environs. Is that how you pronounce it? I always want to say it in a French way, but I think it is environs, right? I think so, yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. No, I like that. That, you know, give the song some space to be. The guy in jail, the guy overseas fighting, you know, women in America. Sure. 
if the song is loose and responsive enough, it can handle all of these interpretations. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. That's one of the things I love about it. Yeah, that's yeah. A, and 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 the, again, random connection. There's not even a connection. I think I'm doing the whole. It's always sunny in Philadelphia. Corkboard thing with all the pins on it, but like I think about when when they released a video for Pretty Sarrow of all things for the another self portrait box set. The, all the footage of that was like stuff from wartime, and it was all women. You know, Ooh. there was footage of women at home, footage of women in like the factories, and you know, doing. And that's again, that's the image I hear when I when I listen to this song. Is that it's just. Bob's indictment of how this country treats anything other than straight white men kind of thing. Uh, that, that's sort of what I hear about it. Again, it, it could be that, uh, you know, African Americans fought World War II and then weren't treated very well when they got back, weren't treated very well even while they were overseas. You know, Mm. I mean, they were fighting for their country and they're treated poorly. Um, so that's, you know. Kind of want to hear. I do want to ask you something though, um, before I forget this, because I don't have it in my notes, but I remember I wanted to ask you about it. So Bob is very big on using the South and using the Midwest. I mean, he's from the Midwest, really, sort of, mm-hmm. as shorthand for America, America itself, the heartland, like the, the, you know, the true blue blood of America runs there. And. I could be arguing with something. I could be arguing with an argument Bob is not making. So, <laughs> like, you know, I'm totally, you know, lost in my own, lost in my own thoughts here. But like again, yeah. again, yeah. But I mean, well, first of all, do you agree with that assessment, or do you think I'm wrong about that? Or, there, or just have you not seen it like that? Let me put it that way. I don't. It's hard for me to say because I'm not American, and I, I, America is a colossal mystery, even to Canadians, man, mm. and. I would imagine to Mexicans too. Like you guys are, you guys are nuts. Canada <laughs> seems to make some kind of sense, you know, because we only have 38 million people or something. Mm. You guys are 10 times our population. You guys are continents, you know, actually. That's how it strikes me anyway, mm. you know, that you guys have got all these. And, you know, what is America? Who knows? What is Bob Dylan's America? I haven't got the slightest idea. I, <laughs> I really don't know. For the right. guy, I mean, I mean, he's all over the place, right? I, I, I would imagine for him, that's always a dangerous thing to say. Yeah. But, <laughs> yeah. but it's, it's probably rooted in that Midwest frozen winter mentality, right? I mean, you don't shake that no matter, even if you become Bob Dylan, you don't get to shake where you come from entirely, right? It's built, mm. it's, it's part of your circuit board, really. It's, since then, though, I mean, as he, has anybody traveled as much as him? No. Like, oh, no. When, he, <laughs> when, he, when he comes to Nagoya, I was thinking today, do I, he's going to be riding his bike around or walking around, right? And can I take two days just to maybe, except then if I met him, you know, what would I right. do? <laughs> I got nothing for you, Jason. <laughs> yeah, that's what I thought, Bob. See you later. Yeah. <laughs> see you later, Jason. <laughs> look for, look for guys in hoodies on bikes. That's I'll your you that's around. your best bet is that's going to be about. Okay. Well, the reason I went down this weird path is that I, and again, I, I might be chafing at something that Bob himself isn't doing. So Bob's response might be, I got nothing for you, man. Cause I don't know what you're talking about, but yeah. I, I, we over here, we are bombarded by a certain strata of people, let's say that, 
anyone who lives anywhere other than the heartland of America isn't a real American. You're not real America. The heartland is that's where but what real is the America. Heartland? Where is that? The middle of the country, the southern part of the country. That's the real America. And if you live near a city or you're a city dweller, you're not a real American. And that chafes at me a lot. I mean, look, the, I don't the rural south. Yes, is is that what it means? Like yes, Alabama yes. and yes, Arkansas. Yes. yes, there are there are large chunks of. It's mostly politicians, to be honest, but I see people on, on social media that do it. But it's this idea that, like, if you are, uh, you know, from California or you're from New York, that's not real America. You're there. Not a, and that it's a very reductive way of looking at things. And then the idea that there's one group of people that are real Americans versus another group that yeah. are not is always deeply. And again, I'm not a particularly patriotic person. I don't think of myself as an American all that much. I really don't. But it it always bothers me because it's just a way of sort of saying, well, you know, your opinions aren't really what America is. And it's like, F you, you know, and the fact that this song, again, I could be I might be, I may be making an argument against something that's not really here. But there's just something about that Bob will, I think, in other this and other songs tend to talk about that section of the country like that's where the real america is a little again he may not be really doing that i'm sorry bob in case you're listening but it's there's just a little bit of like okay well what what is it about happening in mississippi that is representative of all of the fall of america versus anything that might happen in california or colorado or New Jersey or Maine, you know what I mean? That kind of thing. Again, I, mm. these, what, they, this, these are the rabbit holes, sorry, that you can go down when you're on these songs. <laughs> yeah. I, that's, yeah, I'm not sure because I, I would imagine that for some Americans anyway, just Mississippi brings up all kinds of stuff yes. that it wouldn't for, for me or for some listener in Ireland or, you know, right. Italy or wherever. It's, I'm, and I'm not sure, you know, maybe I'm missing out on something. Maybe there's something going on there that I, you know, I don't know. I, when I, do you do this, Rob? I, I hope I'm not the only person who does this. I like to pretend when I'm riding my bike or walking around, listening to music that it's me singing and it's my new hot new single. <laughs> and I will occasionally just in my mind change one or two lyrics so it fits me a little better. Interesting. I don't know how many I don't know how many times I've been on a walk and have been listening to Mississippi and just changed it to I stayed in Yokohama a day too long. <laughs> That's <laughs> right? I okay. I can't say I've done that. I haven't rewritten Bob like that. Uh that's pretty bold of you, Jason. But mm. uh but there are lines in Bob's songs that I have misheard. And then when I have gone back and learned that I have misheard the line in my head, I still sing the one that I heard, even though I know it's wrong. Yeah. Uh, Cause I don't care anymore. Cause I like the one that I came up with maybe a little more. <laughs> this is ballsy yeah. for me like, to rewrite Bob example? like that, but, but that's, um, okay. Well, I think, okay. Uh, Working man's blues. Number two, when he the line about we're getting off Mississippi here, but I mean it's you know, uh, but but in that line where he says um, I don't want to be forced into a life, the line is I don't want to be forced into a life of continual crime. That's the line that's on the website. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can't save a dime. I don't want to be forced into a life of continued crime. That 
I heard it when he sang it because, again, when Modern Times came out, BobDylan.com, I don't think it was a thing just yet. I don't think that site had been launched at that point. So there wasn't an immediately easy way to look up lyrics. Uh, but I heard it as, um, I don't want to be forced a life. I don't want to be forced into a life of continued decline. That's what I mm. heard. Mm. And I kind of like that a little better because to me, and that again, we're talking now, we're talking about Mercury's Blues number two, but that <laughs> in that song, it's just, there's something about this. There's a sadness to continue, continued decline that to me is more powerful than continual crime. Uh, right. again, and maybe when we, hmm. re, you know, when, when the modern times box set comes out and we hear all the alternate versions of working men's blues number two, we can talk about that song at another point, but, but sure. I have done that. I have, and I do it for, I do it for, I do it for songs for non Bob where I've heard, you know, just little bits where I go, Oh, you know, in my head, that's what I hear. And, right. You know, but I, but I don't necessarily go into the mind of like, this is my new hot single. <laughs> no, I always think, I always think it's my new hot single. And, <laughs> You know, because I have no connection whatsoever with Mississippi, I had mm. to. I couldn't change it to Gifu. That would have, if only Gifu had the right syllables. You know, right. but it doesn't. So, I thought, uh, Yokohama. Oh, yeah, stayed in Yokohama a day too long. I could, you know, this could be my song if it was if it was only Yokohama instead of Mississippi. But then maybe that's you know cutting out all kinds of stuff that he's talking about that I'm not really aware of. You know, maybe mm. it is about penitentiary stuff and I, whatever he said in that interview where it's about the declaration of independence and the bill of rights and oh god that quote from him let me read that because it is <laughs> is bob at his most bobbish you know in terms yes. of just where he goes bob-ish. down dylan dylan has on multiple occasions expressed dissatisfaction with the versions recorded for time out of mind speaking to rolling stone about why he re-recorded it for love and theft dylan said quote the song was pretty much laid out intact melodically, lyrically, and structurally, but Lanois didn't see it. Thought it was pedestrian. It's kind of a knock at the Lanois there. Mm. Took it down the Afro polyrhythm route, <laughs> multi rhythm drumming, that sort of thing. Polyrhythm has its place, but it doesn't work for knife like lyrics trying to convey majesty and heroism. On the performance you're hearing, the bass is playing a triple beat. And that adds up to all the multi-rhythm you need, even a slow tempo song. I think Lenoir is an excellent producer, though. I admit, I read that. I'm like, what the hell is he talking about? African <laughs> polyrhythms. What? I was like, this is like, Not okay, evident Bob. on any, any of the released versions of Mississippi. <laughs> Not yet, anyway, you know. That's the, when, when I hear quotes like that, that's the thing where I say, I don't want to meet him. I don't want to meet him. <laughs> Because he's going to say something that's going to make me feel so stupid <laughs> that I'm going to just die. And I don't want to be wrong. Wanna... He's just going to lie to you and then also make you feel stupid. Yeah. yeah. So no, it's all right. Yeah. No. Yeah. No, but God love him for doing that. You know, it's, it's terrific. He's a master of what is it with Minnesota? Is Minnesota it's Midwest? I don't know how you guys. Uh, well, I, I mean, it's, Does it I don't, I don't Midwest. I mean, it's, it's, it's north, obviously. It's the most North America can be in terms of, I mean, well, not, I mean, okay, not, not, uh, to longitude. Maine is higher, but, but I mean, there's no states above Minnesota until you get into Canada. Uh, I don't know if it's really considered the Midwest. I don't know whether that you have to be further south for it to be Midwest. I don't, I don't really know. I don't know. It's a mystery to me too, but I do know that Bob has read, um, what's his name? Uh, the guy who wrote 48 Laws of Power. Because he, because he plagiarizes him in Chronicles, right? 
Mm-hmm. Oh, right, right. Oh, um, I can't think of who you're talking about. Uh, it's Robert Greene. In that book, The 48 Laws of Power, he writes... In the Robert past, Green. The world... Robert Green. It is Robert Green. Yeah. Robert Green, okay. you got it. In the past, the world was filled with the terrifying and unknowable. In a world that is ever more banal, that has had its mystery and myth squeezed out of it, we secretly crave enigmas, people or things that cannot be instantly interpreted, seized, and consumed. An air of mystery about an artist makes his or her artwork immediately more intriguing. It is all very easy to do. Say little about your work, tease and titillate with alluring, even contradictory comments, then stand back and let others try to make sense of it all. <laughs> like Dylan was doing that long before Green's book came out, but that's a perfect summary, I think, of interview Dylan. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? mm-hmm. You know, he says whatever's at the top of the bottom of his mind at any given point and let let everybody else figure it out. Like a lot of things he said about Mississippi and time out of mind and uh, so on don't make any sense as far as I can tell. But m- maybe he's just fucking with us as usual. So God love him. I don't mind that, you know. We yeah, get to, I, you know, make up our own minds about it as we should, right? Yeah, I mean, and right, and I don't, I don't, I, I apologize for again making an argument that that maybe is just completely insane because it, it's I'm arguing with something that isn't there. And obviously, Bob feels a very strong kinship with this part of the country. First of all, if the if the phrase the there's only one thing I did wrong, I stayed in Mississippi a day too long. If that in fact is something that Bob took from another source, he obviously could have changed Mississippi to another state. He could have changed yeah. it to anything. He could have changed it to a city. You know, he could have been stuck inside of Mobile with the Memphis Blues again. He could have, but he, I mean, maybe it was like something as pedantic as this, the, the syllables was good. Since, Nissa, Cincinnati, Mississippi. Would that work? Yeah. Where I stayed in Cincinnati. You could. You, yeah, there you go. Cincinnati. I mean, you <laughs> a day too long. But again, yeah. I, I think about the, the interview once again, I'm mentioning it with Jim Dickinson, where he talked about Dickinson talked about that Bob would talk to him about all of these musical figures from like that area of the country. Uh, you know, he mentioned some, I think Jesse May Hemphill, I think it was the name I think about. It. And it's like Bob knew all these people that to the average person, we don't know who they are, but Bob knows them kind of intimately mm-hmm. or knows, like apparently he said something to Chicken Dickinson about, oh, is, is Jesse May still sick? And Dickinson was like, how does he even know that she's ill? Like, how does he know that? You know, does he hear these things? So he's obviously, and as I mentioned again on the Fragments episode, that line uh, from Girl from the Red River Shore, where the hills will give me a song. Mm. That to me seems so instructive to like Bob's purposes of the idea that he's drawing this material out from the hills, whether it be the hills of America or the hills of the rest of the world. But there's, he obviously feels a deep, deep, connection to the land in some areas and so he's feel like he's drawing and so maybe that maybe maybe he's down in mississippi and he loves it you know maybe to him he has a strong connection to mississippi i don't know i think mississippi brings up different things for americans than it does for non-americans right it's Mm. that's all tangled with civil rights stuff and yeah all that for you guys right for yeah for canadians i every time i hear mississippi all i can think of is my friend sean saying my whole life, I thought it was a woman named Mrs. Sippy. Right? <laughs> That's a great miss here. That's a fantastic yeah, miss here. That's a pretty good one, right? Mrs. Sippy. Yeah, but <laughs> but it does. It also uh, obsessed Kerouac. 
he wrote tons about the Mississippi River, right? Mm. For him, that was the that that it flowed from the top right down to the bottom, and it carried all of America with it as it went, right? And I know that Bob has read his Kerouac too, so there's that. I don't know, but I think there are just reverberations for American listeners that yeah that don't land with uh i don't know canadians right or just people are steeped in the history of it uh well, you yeah. know yeah i yeah. mean good lord i mean as far back as oxford town he's singing about the old miss ride with james meredith at the university of mississippi you know i mean it's again right. as you say it it conjures up a, a chunk of american history yeah. and a, a very negative part of american history that and there's a weird thing that goes on when you listen to music from a place uh, that you don't really understand the the problems there. So you're listening mm. to it flat, right? You're right. straight. When I was a teenager, I was well into the Smiths, and I had no idea that there was this whole North-South English problem, right? That mm. the North hated the South and vice versa, and that the Smiths were were uh, from the North. So this was a and the Beatles too. Like I didn't know that when I was mm-hmm. a kid. I just thought, well, Liverpool, great. It's where the Beatles are from. <laughs> I didn't know it was nowhere, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, all right. We've wandered. We've <laughs> We're not even to the last verse yet. We're not even on that yet. So uh when he says my ship's been splinter splinters and it's sick and fast, I'm drowning in the poison, I got no future, I got no piss. But my heart is not weary. It's light and it's free. I've got nothing but affection for all those who have sailed with me. Now we, we did mm. reference this a little earlier. That is such a beautifully warm line. Yes. And the fact yes. this song is so grim and then this pops up. It's such a like, wow. Okay. And, and you know, it's like I, I said this on, on Twitter a couple weeks ago. I love it when Bob says the word boys in a song and he refers to boys. Mm-hmm. I've been all around the world, boys. I always feel like he's talking to the band. I always feel like he's talking to Garnier and Sexton or whoever, whoever's there, you know, he, and just calling these, these kind of ne'er-do-well looking guys boys to me is just very charming because Bob's older than all of them and he's seen everything. But I, I love that line about I have nothing for affection for all those who have sailed me. Everybody who's ever been on stage with me has helped put my music across. I got nothing but affection for them. It's just a beautiful. And that is a line mm. that I have used in my personal life for various in various ways it's 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 really really sweet i for me this is the combination of this song's empathy it it's an he's really like whoever's talking in this song he's tired <laughs> he's tired <laughs> of fighting everybody and he wants to be friends right mm-hmm. finally and again this is another one where i sort of hope it's still in you know because i when i hear that line i always think of not as band. I think of John Lennon and hmm. John Baez and uh, Jimi Hendrix and so on. That, His contemporaries. Yeah, that he's looking back and going, that was, it was so great to travel with you guys, you know, however hmm. long it lasted. That's hmm. how I always take it. Again, this is slipping out of the song, out of the jailbird drifter into right, right. actual Dylan. But yeah, that is such a, an open, and welcoming sort of i've got nothing but affection for those who sailed with me yeah i always hear that is dylan speaking through the drifter i mean the drifter can still say that too that's all right mm-hmm. but yeah that he's because the 
you know, the Dylan of, I think a lot of people's, a lot of people's image of Dylan is that he's this caustic, angry, finger pointing guy, you know, if they haven't followed him that carefully. Right, years. right. But even if they have, you know, he's still been sort of that guy a lot, you know. This is the older, wiser, tired. Again, the guys, the, the narrator here is tired. He's tired <laughs> of fighting all the time. And also relaxing into, yeah, actually, you know, geez, all we did was fight, but, uh, wasn't that great? Didn't we have a great time fighting? Mm. You know, yeah, that's one of the, my favorite lines in the whole song because it's, useful personally and i like to apply it to dylan and i just apply it generally just that you know at the end of the war you can sit back and go oh man nothing but affection yeah i like that affection yeah and again and it reminds me a little bit of there's the there's lines in um ain't talking where he talks about the the my my loyal my much loved companions yes you know nothing nothing but on this long and lonesome road like again this sort of you know, expressing kinship with people. Uh, but really but in this one, it's for all those who sailed with me. So not even, doesn't have to be on the same boat necessarily. Mm-hmm. Just going through the same shit. You yes, know? yes. People who, right, they're power their lives. They've gone and they're yeah. doing their thing. I'm doing mine. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, he's not excluding anybody. Okay. You know, <laughs> we've made it through. It's one of those, I'm sure you've probably heard it. There's a, a latter day John Lennon interview where he's saying, you know, weren't the seventies a drag, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know, but let's try to get on with it as we go. That's what this sounds like to me, you know, like we made it through, man. Wow. Holy, holy shit. We made it through. <laughs> God love all of you who managed to make it through. And even, you know, all those who sailed with me doesn't even necessarily mean that they made it to the end. Right. You know, that's true Just on the, on the same. So I love that. I, that's one of the, again, there's a lot of tenderness and empathy throughout this song. You know, this guy is not uh positively fourth street Dylan. At right. All. Yeah. Yeah. Right. As Bob said in the, that 1965 press conference, which we even did an episode on where he says, uh, good luck. I hope you make it. All my songs say that. Yeah, you know, yeah, uh, yes. <laughs> just one of my favorite things I've ever heard him say. Me too. And this uh, is the same thing, isn't it? Mm-hmm, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Love so it. So then he continues on. He says, "Everybody's moving. If they ain't already there, everybody got to move somewhere." Again, the the idea of everybody's got to got to got to go somewhere, but this guy is stuck. Stick with me, baby. Stick with me, anyhow. Things just start to get interesting right about now. It's a marvelous line. And then my clothes are wet, tight on my skin, not as tight as the corner I painted myself in. Oh, for the love of Pete. You know, <laughs> come on. I know. I know. So great. That's just one of those, like, are you kidding? You know, like, come on. Not as tight as the corner that I painted myself in. What a great inversion of, you know, like mixing a metaphor. You know, my God. Uh, the fortune is waiting to be kind, so give me your hand and say it'll be mine. The emptiness is endless. Cold as the clay, you can always come back, but you can't come back all the way. One th- one thing I did wrong, stayed in Mississippi a day too long. Mm. That line about it, you can always come back, but you can't come back all the way. That This journey that you take, even I guess good and bad, this journey that you take, you're never quite, you can't, you're a little changed from the journey. Whatever that journey is, and again, it could be good mm. or bad, but you're never... You know, 
this guy is maybe taking this trip to Mississippi. If we want to go back to the story aspect of the song, this guy's gone to Mississippi. He's been in jail. He's now come home. He's maybe seeing Rosie, uh, you know, but, uh, but, you know, he lost a little something in the, in the process. For me, this is what Rosie said to him earlier when he was, I was thinking about the things that Rosie, Rosie said. said. Okay. There's, I can't back this up. You know, there's no evidence in the text, but I like to think that she said to him, you can always come back, but you can't come back all the way. You know, that's back to your old hometown, back to your old relationship, back to whatever mm. it is, right? And again, being, you know, songs being personally useful, I keep dreaming about moving back to Canada. And I guess I could do it, right? But not all the way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, it's, that's impossible. But it's, it's a different version, so different version of you that's coming back than the one that left. You can always do it, but not all the way. Yeah. <laughs> I just like Again, there's no evidence for it that that's what Rosie said, but I was thinking about the things that Rosie said, and then he never mentions what Rosie said. Right. You know, I like to think that she said, yeah. And now, again, Rosie's not the girlfriend. Rosie's not the lover. Rosie is the friend with a bed available. Yeah, you can always come back, man, but not all the way. You can, yeah. you can go, you can go do this, but you won't be the same when you come back. You can go do it, but yeah. It, it's and don't, the don't, place won't be the same either. Place so. won't be the same either. Right. That too. In the, right. I mean, so since, I mean, you've had time and you love the song so much and you've had time to, uh, listen to the other versions on, on Telltale Signs. But now we've got two more. We got two more from Fragments, hmm. uh, alternate takes. Now, what did you think of those versions? Yeah. I, not, I didn't think much of them actually. Uh, really? No. I, I can see why if those are the ones that, were recorded originally and that him and Lenoir tussled over. Right. right. I can sort of understand because they're a bit sloppy. They're a bit kind of, you know, there's some crap drumming in the second one, you know, like, like clearly dr- I don't blame the drummer. Like nobody knows what Bob's going to do all right into the course. You know, there's some funky drumming going on there. Yeah. I, I don't know. Loose and, and maybe too loose, both versions. See, when you were talking with the guy um, on the frag- Fragments episode, I forget Jeff his Slate. name. Jeff Slate. Yeah. Okay. That was really interesting because <laughs> super interesting all over the place. But when when you guys agreed that, oh, maybe he didn't put the best version of Mississippi on the record. Like <laughs> it's I, a dagger in your heart, Jason. No, I just threw... I was hanging up the laundry and I just threw something on the neighbor's roof. I was so mad. No, cause it, I think he did. I think the version on love and theft is number one. It's got that mandolin intro that none of the other versions. No, have. right. It's unique to that version. Yeah. And I've always, again, I'm probably wrong, but I remember reading an interview with Peter Buck of REM one time. And in the interview, he was saying that he'd read somewhere that Dylan was being interviewed. And when Dylan was being interviewed, uh, REM came over the, what, you know, the cafeteria speakers, wherever he was being interviewed and it was losing my religion. And Dylan Dylan said to the interviewer, Oh, I really love the mandolin on this. Right. And in the Peter Buck interview, he said, I can die happy now. 
you know, I <laughs> just to hear that Bob Dylan loved my mandolin on that song. <laughs> so there's probably no connection, but for me there is, right? Because you connect mm-hmm. it in your own personal way. So when I hear that lovely intro on the on the album version, all right. But it's a it's a it's a kind of a sleepy, quiet version on Love and Theft, which mm-hmm. I like because the narrator is tired. I think that's the whole point of the narrator, that he's exhausted. He can't fight anymore, you know. He's hmm. he's had it with fighting. He's given up and he's sort of because he's tired, he can he can be empathetic. Uh some of the other versions, like I love the which is the one that I mean because now we've got what five other versions, five other complete, what five other complete them? versions. Yeah, the one that opens Telltale Signs, I think of spooky, intimate, or intimate spooky. Like I really like it, but it's yeah, it's spooky. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I like it a lot, but it doesn't because I think it's about tiredness and acceptance. That's a bit too spooky for me. I like the one with the with the other lyrics, the new li- or the different mm-hmm. lyrics, mm-hmm. just because it's always nice to hear something a little different. Than yeah. You. Oh, absolutely. Um, I for me, actually, I really preferred. I think it's called version one. It's version one and version two from Fragments. Version one, I think, was my favorite one of it. There's just something about the vocal performance. I, I'd say I, I there's something about that mandolin on the song. I just don't. I don't. Contra Bob, I just don't like that much. Really? Yeah, oh, okay. yeah, 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 yeah. Well. There's there's like a brightness to it that to me just doesn't work with the lyrics that I'm hearing. But again, you know, uh, I don't I don't understand polyrhythms, obviously. So Bob, no, <laughs> talking about obviously, you know. So uh, you know, I, I I got nothing for you, man. I don't know what to tell you. Um, now this has been <laughs> this has been covered for a relatively recent song of Bob. Again, it's only in the universe of Bob Dylan. Is a song that's uh, 22 years old, considered a recent song, but it is. Um, it's been still, it's been covered quite a bit, and it's been made quite, uh, quite uh, powerful use by a couple different people. Cheryl Crow actually recorded it first, or not recorded it first, but she released it first. And I remember I bought that CD just to get that song. I mean, I generally like Cheryl Crow, but I bought that one just to get that version because I knew it was Bob's song. And I liked her version a lot. It's fun. It's up tempo. It's much more poppy, obviously. And then the Dixie Chicks uh, actually covered it extensively. And uh, I actually went to see the Dixie Chicks in concert once, and they they covered it there, uh, which was great. That was fun to hear. That was fun to hear. So again, they've both done a lot with the song, and obviously it resonates really quite heavily with a lot of people. It really struck. Uh, a lot of different musicians and it's been mm. put on different lists as like one of his 20 greatest songs. Yeah. Uh, I didn't I mean, know that. Yeah. Until I started looking around, poking around to get ready for this. And I didn't realize it was so, sort of so popular and so elevated. Yeah. People, I real mean, people really, really took to it. Um, live wise, it has not gotten that much play. Uh, it's been done 75 times again, only in the world of Bob Dylan would that not be a lot between 2001 and 2012. So it's been a full decade since he's done it. So, you know, in terms of love and theft songs, it's one of the lesser ones that's been played. You know, he still does some of the seen him do it. Uh, you know, I'd have to look and see at my list of, of the times I've seen him because I have a list of all that stuff because I'm that kind of person. Uh, but (laughs) I, I don't know offhand if I have, I probably have at some point. Um, but, uh, 
Uh, actually, I'm looking in my list right here. No, I've never seen him do it live. I've never been in the room where he's done it live. So, okay. Uh, I haven't been to any of those particular shows. So, uh, now did you, what do you think of, did you listen to the live one on fragments that they did like the sort of live version of the, the record? Yeah. Yeah. I listened to it. Uh, I thought, I wish I was there. I wish he'd played it when I was there. Do you miss the mandolin? Because he can't really do the mandolin. <laughs> no, really. I mean, he no, could, but he right. but he hasn't been. It's just one of those ones that you know, like, I, I'm sure every Bob fan has this list, right? Where God, I really hope he plays <laughs> Isis and up to me, and you know, ninety miles an hour down and, a dead end street. And, and, yeah, you got exactly. to get your down in the groove, love, in there. <laughs> yeah, I know. You're trying to force me into it. I'm trying to edge away a little bit. <laughs> I got nothing for you, man. <laughs> yeah, nothing before Rob Kelly. But yeah, I in the the couple times I went to see him, the two times I went to see him after Love and Theft, you know, yeah, that was a. I thought it's possible. You know, he's not going to play Isis or Black Diamond Bay, but he might play <laughs> Mississippi, you know. Yeah. But I haven't seen him do it. I'd love to see him do it. It'd be great. So, yeah, the version on the live version is uh, it's great, but, you know, nothing spectacular there. Mm. It's mostly just fuck all those people who were there. I wish I was there. And <laughs> none of them, actually. That's how I imagine it. <laughs> do you ever do that? Oh, yeah. Oh, oh Yeah. Oh, you sure. erase the entire audience and it's only you and maybe Kelly sitting next to you. Something some like snacks. that. Snacks. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I mean, well, when, when Bob did that concert a couple of years ago for the one guy, do you remember yes. that? Or that yeah, day? In it was, Sweden it was like or that, something. That sweet, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I was like, oh, come on. You know, <laughs> <laughs> like not that was a little wave at the end. Yeah. I know. Yeah. I was like, oh, I could have, I could have been that guy. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it said it, I, 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 it's a, it's an absolutely fantastic song. And as you say, the lyrics certainly, uh, in, in so many different ways, dig in and you can repurpose them kind of for your own life, you know, whether you're talking about where you live or whatever and, and stuff like, but it, it's, it's really one of his most quotable songs, I would say. Yeah. Uh, yeah. and that's amazing that, you know, again, the, the, something, made in 2001 is as quotable as anything from like a rolling stone or any of the other bigger songs it's it's he just keeps going with this stuff uh and and you know it's it's, and it's, also, a, it's a remarkable I mean, tune he he seemed to have nailed it pretty early on right all those versions except for the one with the alternate lyrics they're all the same right yeah it's just different emphasis on a couple different lines and i do like listening to them just to hear once or twice you go oh that's I like that line. He sang it better there than on the album version. You know, I, 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 again, generally I prefer the album version. I just like the sound of it, but individual lines, but that's one of the fantastic things about the bootleg series is I think you were talking with the fragments guy about that. Just the generosity of yeah. giving us this stuff. So we get to listen to the songs change and, and, expand or contract or whatever it is it's really interesting the beatles have been doing that too with their you know the the releases recently with all the stuff and i love that man i'd love to hear have you have you heard that the like the john's original home demo of yellow submarine no no i'm not okay. i'm not familiar <laughs> i'm not conversant with that stuff i mean i all certainly right, but... watched the get back documentary and 
yeah. you know, getting to sit yeah. there in the room with well, them was okay. amazing. Yes. Yeah. As they sort of, it, and it is work and so on, which I, mm-hmm. I appreciate that these guys let us know that it is work. It's not genius blasting straight through and, oh, there's blood on the tracks. Wow. Oh, yeah. Fully formed. You know, right. Like, yeah. It comes out of Zeus's brain. Yeah. Exactly. There is work and struggle and, and uh, all that involved. And God love them for, putting that on view right because it goes against the image of the genius artist that we all like to have right because it <laughs> why are, why rob kelly why are you and i not producing genius stuff well, <laughs> geniuses oh, right that's, that's true if, if that's true if you call it, if you think of someone as a genius it does take a little bit of the onus off of you because you're like well i'm not a genius it's not my fault so I'm not it's a not genius. My fault. I'm not Picasso. I'm yeah, not a genius. But then you man. look and you say, yeah, well, maybe it's just because I'm lazy and I just don't work yeah, at exactly. it the way this guy does, you know? And that's, I mean, yes. once again, I'm really sorry, everybody. I'm going to quote that goddamn Jim Dickinson interview again. But he talks about that. He's at one point, he was watching Bob and he looks and Bob pulled up this notebook full of song lyrics. And, you know, Jim kind of just did a little side eye glance. And he saw that it was full of like cross outs and teared out pages and re, you know, things taped yeah. in. And he goes, you know, he says, anyone who thinks this is, this thing is random or chance art does not get it. Hmm. And you're like, yeah. And we, you know, we've seen the blood in the tracks notebooks now. You just see the, the, the sheer amount of work that went into honing these songs into what we end up knowing them to be. It's like, yeah, the guy sitting works. You know, we, yeah. we wonder what he do, what does he do in this time when he's not playing concerts and riding his bike around? He's sitting writing, you know, or he's making yeah. metal sculptures or whatever. But I mean, just the amount of writing he must do. And then total side tangent as we're wrapping up here. But now, like, I wonder, does Bob still write longhand or does he have like a, a computer? <laughs> yeah, can you picture Bob Dylan at a, <laughs> at a, at a Dell laptop? You know, and rewriting lines. Cafe in Japan going. Yeah, can you imagine that? I can't imagine that. I bet you he's still writing longhand. Yeah, probably. Yeah, and then he's handing them off for somebody to transcribe. But like, I'm just trying to picture him like sitting there and like there are no missing alternately because he just deletes now. He just it's the back key and there you go. No, that's not a good line. Tick 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 tick. And then oh, lost to the ages. That great line that we never never know about. No, don't you think he's probably like you and me and everybody else? You know, he's 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 where he was when you know, like when the cement settled, right? Or formed or hardened or whatever it is, right? So he's a he's a fifties kid. Yeah, right? he's yeah writing longhand. Sure. Right. <laughs> Totally. It, uh, On yeah, weird it's, paper. He's probably saying, get me that weird paper. Bob, they don't make it anymore. Get it for me. Yeah, I bought 70 <laughs> boxes full, of full it. You know? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, no, the idea of Bob Dylan at a laptop at an internet cafe is just nothing I can wrap my head around. So I'm yeah, sure that's going, probably, yeah, yeah. Every, every step of the way. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's not good. No, no, no. Hold on. Wait, Cincinnati. So I stayed in Cincinnati a day too long. No, that's, what, what no. else is for for Yokohama? It could be uh, uh, San Paulo. No, that's not right. Um, <laughs> I mean, sometimes it can be that it can be that simple. It's just the rhythm of it. It's just the the you know. It's just yeah. the rhythm. I I will. I said this again. I said this on Twitter recently. I wrote my first 
I don't know what you would consider a poem. Like, do poems have to have a specific length to be called a poem? I don't know what the rules no. are. Okay. Well, then I, I wrote my first poem a couple of weeks ago for my Ooh. wife, right? And for Valentine's Day. And boy, howdy, was that hard. <laughs> and and part of it was staying away from just being so sappy and sentimental. But a lot of it was I had the thought of what I wanted to convey, but I could not find the words with the right amount of syllables. And it drove me nuts. It just drove me nuts. So maybe Mississippi is just that it's Mississippi. <laughs> maybe it's that but simple. Why were you worried about syllables? Because I wanted it to read right. I didn't want it to. I feel like if it didn't have the right meter, it would just. Did you have read. a meter in your mind? Yeah. Like, well, what meter was that? What what oh, song no were you copying? Oh, I wasn't copying a song. I wrote my own thing. I really did. Oh, really? But I was but trying to keep. A... I was trying to keep each line to the same amount of. So, a like, totally I, arbitrary. Yeah. Oh, it was it's total. I'll never do it again. Uh, I'll never yeah. do it. It's so hard. Don't ever do I wrote, it. I wrote. No, I wrote. I, I wrote eight like lines. That. It was so hard. It was so. Hard. No, but see, this is where people go crazy with poetry. You know, thinking it has to be this or that. Man, poetry is just set down what you're thinking about. That's all. I mean, that's well, it, man. where were you a couple of weeks ago when I was writing that chase? Yes, for exactly. Sakes. Well, you could have reached out to me, man. You know. <laughs> You know, I'm. I got nothing for you. Rob. I'm here. I'm sitting right here. I got. Nothing. <laughs> I'm going to use that all the time now. It's such a great response to say something. I got nothing for you. I got nothing at all. I got nothing so, for you. <laughs> well, all right, Jason. It's getting okay, very nice. late for you. You yep. have got to go to bed, sir. Uh, but uh, thank you once again, of course, for coming on the show. I do need to point out, just because Bob likes to dabble in numerology, and that's fun. The last episode you were on was 224. That was up to me. And the last episode before that was uh, Joey, which was 200. Now, this episode is 249. So we're, but you seem to come back every 24 episodes. That, mm. I didn't plan it that way. So I'm getting, so I look forward to having you back for 274. So, okay. uh, 273. So prepare yourself for when we get to 273 to come up with another song. Yeah. Um, do I get the, the question? Yeah, well, I'm going to get, well, normally I've been asking the sessions one, but that's, uh-huh. I already asked you that. So the new question for you, for the people that have been on the show a bunch of times is what's your next bootleg series? If it could be yeah. anything, okay. they come yeah, to yeah. you, Sony comes to you. They're like, Hey, you know, Jeff Rosen is like, Jason, well, what do you want to, what, anything that we haven't done yet? What bootleg series do you want to hear? Right. Right. Okay. I think we're going to get a 78 tour one. Right. Okay. And I think we're going to get a, 74 tour one as well. Okay. And I, I'm all for both of those, but I would love, uh, an eighties wrap up, man. Like after infidels mm-hmm. up, up to whatever, when did I guess up to, oh, mercy, right? Or maybe, mm-hmm. you know, maybe up to and including the, the folk ones. I don't know, but I have a feeling that there are some, gorgeous guitar only you know demos and so on uh from both knocked out loaded and down in the groove sessions i just think there's something good it you know if it's it's the one what what number was it that rescued um his most hated album what was the another self-portrait Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I forget what what bootleg series that was. But I yeah. forget what number it is. Right. But now everyone's like, oh yeah, that was actually quite a great period. You know, that's mm-hmm. beautiful. I I would like to see something 
similar to that for the mm, mid eighties period, which everybody hates. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, it's all up for grabs. So yeah, why not? I mean, I think you, I'm sure you could call. Uh, I don't think a lot of great it. stuff across that. Probably not. It seems probably. I, I would imagine they'll probably find a way to present that material in another way, so it's not the main course kind of thing. Yeah, but at, but at the same time, if or they maybe can devote it's all shit, who knows? You know? Well, but if they can <laughs> devote a whole bootleg series to just self-portrait, really, if you can devote an entire set to just one of his most hated albums, I would think yeah. you could you could call. Enough and that's material. A great set, right? It is a great set. There's amazing material in that. Mm. I still, I still haven't done that episode on Tattalo Day that I want to do. It's one of my favorite things I've ever heard him do. This little two minute yeah. cover of this folk song. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, they did, they dabbled in Empire Burlesque with Springtime in New York because you've got yeah. clean cut kid and stuff like that. But yeah, I would be up for hearing the alternates of stuff from Empire Burlesque and Knocked Out Loaded and Down in the Group. Absolutely. Sure, especially just, down in the groove, got futzed with a million times. So exactly, sure. yeah. yeah. And we know that he records all the time, and mm-hmm. his record for saying "Let's not put this out" is mm-hmm. also, you know, spectacular. So there might be stuff in there. I just i I would love to see something that slightly redeemed his mid to late eighties. You know. That would be a terrific package, I think. Uh, but I, I agree. Only for me. But I don't think it will ever happen. I, I, I read an article the other day, I think it was in Rolling Stone, that they said, we're winding down. Yeah, you know? yeah, I did see that, yeah. Did you see that as yeah, well? Yeah, yeah. 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 I mean, what's their version of winding more? down, you know? You know what I mean? Like, five more? That's a lot. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. They call Shadow Kingdom the early songs of Bob Dylan, and there's something from Oh Mercy in there. So what is... What, what, what does time yeah. even mean to these people? I mean, Who knows? if they're going to, well, I guess they could start to milk stuff, right? But I don't feel that that's what they've been doing up till now. No. Fragments is terrific, right? Yeah. All this stuff I've never heard. And it's terrific. And what do you make of the, I know you talked about it a little bit last time with, uh, but the remastered or remixed version, I guess, of Time Out of Mind. I really liked it. I liked it. Yeah. I, I get, I, you know, I said that to Jeff in the, in the episode, but like, I get why, like, I feel like the finished record is more of a conceptual piece versus the non remixed one that we heard, but I really did like it. Hmm. Really did. So yeah, I, okay. I think that but it was a worthy, a, worthy venture. Uh, are you a time out of mind guy or are you a love and theft guy? If you had to choose at gunpoint. Oh, uh, oh, geez. Well, you mean I had to pick one record over the other? Yes. Wow. That's a, hmm, that's a tough call. I think, I think Time in a Mind is a better record, but I'd pick Love and Theft. Mm. I think, <laughs> I think about, I think about what songs would I, what songs would I be okay with consigning to never hearing again? And I'd be, I think I'd be more okay with never hearing. I wouldn't be okay with any of it. You know what I mean? But I mean, if we're doing like a desert island disc sort of thing, it, it, would I never want to hear summer days or love and or, or uh, high water uh, or floater again? That would be, that would make me sad. So, <laughs> so I think I'd go with love and theft over, over time out of mind, even though I think time out of mind is one of his great achievements of his career. Sure. Right. Well, 
that's interesting because I would be the other way. I think Love and Theft is probably a better record, but I would pick Time Out of Mind. <laughs> okay. Every <laughs> time. Yeah. All right. <laughs> Just... Fair enough. <laughs> so no, but the, again, this is what I love about Dylan, that there's room to maneuver, mm. man. There's space to move around and all this stuff. And you can change your mind too. Nobody cares. Yeah. Bob doesn't care. I mean, if, I mean, look, I mean, look, I've, I've said multiple times, my favorite record of his last, this whole quarter, this whole new millennium, uh, is modern times. That'd be the one. I mean, that I would, that's my favorite. Really? As much as the, yes. I don't, mm-hmm. Why? Why? Why on <laughs> earth? Why, why do you say it like that? Why do you say it like I just said something ridiculous? <laughs> I, I don't get it. I, I what? Yeah. That record is, mm, Careful. I'm, How dare I'm, you? Yes. No, I'm treading carefully. I like <laughs> not ain't, ain't talking. Oh, it's, it's every. Yeah, oh my I like God. ain't talking a lot. Okay. So I'm trying to anchor myself in what I like about Thunder it. Thunder on the mountain, mountain working, working man's blues. Mm, yeah. What? Yeah. <laughs> Jason. <laughs> oh, for me, okay. You know, like, all right, yeah, sure, but oh my, oh, like if, that, is... if 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 the trilogy is time out of mind. Well, it's um, not a trilogy. That that well, was Sony and their bullshit ad speak trilogy. Come on, okay. what are you talking about? All, all right, but well, I was just trying to give both of us an out. <laughs> <laughs> I um, I don't I don't uh, no I I listen to modern times. I know lot, that's one of your yeah through. yeah, and it's. It's that's always been a mystery to me, but <laughs> well, but, now we know a, what we're going to discuss for mystery. episode two seventy three. Now we know. We'll come yeah, back and like, talk about. I don't pick a modern like, time song. Yeah, I like Nettie Moore a lot, and I like Ain't Talking a lot. But someday, baby, come on. What are we? What? What are we doing? What are I we doing here? Dis, I don't dislike it. I just don't get it. That's all. <laughs> I, it doesn't. It doesn't put the lead in my pencil, man. Okay. <laughs> Fair I enough. Know. I don't, all right. I don't even okay. know what that means. All right. All right. Let's, I think that's a good place. Okay. Right. Nothing, Let's like argue about you, something else Let's later. Wrap yeah. it up. Yeah. All right. So, uh, all right. Well, why don't you tell people uh, about your show before we sign off here? Okay. I have a podcast called Writers Read Their Early Shit, and that's available wherever you get your podcasts. And that's what happens uh writers come on and read their early unformed weird poems short stories plays sometimes uh journal entries etc uh it's, it's usually entertaining and hopefully instructive maybe it always is it's a great show it's an okay. it's a great show absolutely Thanks, every, yeah absolutely anyone listening to this should listen to it it's highly entertaining and you do a great job producing it as well have having been on it and and realize that we talked for like two hours and then you kind of carved it down into something more coherent. I was like, you're doing a really great job as just a podcast editor of being able to Man, wade really through like the morass editing, of the long but... conversations. <laughs> but I love editing. Do you? I Because I know you edit all of the, you know, these episodes. Yeah, do I like don't. I, mm, I mean, I generally don't edit content i take out ums and errs and like hold on wait a minute let me find that like all that stuff but i generally don't take out much in the way of content because i like people to 
know that mm. what they're saying is going to be what's there. Cause yeah. I feel like if I take something out at one point, maybe it alters what they might've said at another point and it, you know, changes it in a different way. I'll take my own stuff out uh, because I'm, it's me. I'm okay with it. But, but, uh, yeah. but generally I leave most of the time, anything that my guests say on a show, that's what it's going to stay unless they, they specifically ask or something like that or, or whatever. But, uh, but no, I don't, I, you know, but at the same time, your show, not having a song to kind of like as the backbone of it, it is invites much more wide ranging yeah. rambling conversations. And I, <laughs> again, from my own experience, I got into lots of crazy diversions that you were right to slip out and kind of hone the show down to more manageable length. So uh, I no love that. There. I love editing a chat down into its perfect, beautiful form. Mm. If only I could do that, you know, in real time, in real life. That'd that would be, be amazing. Great, That'd know? be really cool to be able to do that. So, well, uh, oh, <laughs> hold on a sec. Yes. Well, yes. Can, can I hype one more thing? Oh, of course. Go ahead. I've got a book coming out. Oh, that's right. That's right. This spring. And it might be, should be available for pre-order at the end of February. I think at least according to my publisher, it, that's possible. So, uh, it's called Little Bit Die. It's a book of poetry. There's not much Dylan content, although there is a little bit of Dylan stuff in there, actually. Very little. If that will attract your listeners, Rob. I don't know. <laughs> They're like, oh, I wouldn't have bought it, but wait. <laughs> is there Dylan content? Hold on. Yeah. Well, that's, um, that's awesome. That's congratulations. That's great. Oh, thanks, man. No, it's a, it's a book of, uh, poetry about, it's about my best pal who died. And while I was in Japan, he was in China and he came to visit me, but I didn't go to visit him. I thought I had more time to do so, but then, uh, you know, I didn't. So I went after he died to try to connect with what he'd seen in China. Uh, so it's about friendship and love and kinds of stuff i mean it's really it's a, it's a fantastic book it's a brilliant book like it's the best book ever written actually you can give you gave yourself your own pull quote for your, for your own book it's great i'm i'm halfway through dylan's book and i really love how how bonkers it is right like he, it is bonkers it he is just a bonkers doesn't book. give a shit right yeah yeah it is <laughs> I, I, oh God, we really got to wrap this up. But I mean, I will say, yeah. I was planning on doing a philosophy of modern song episode, and then I read the book, and I was almost just like, I don't even know what to say about this. I really don't. I don't. <laughs> I just, and the the enthusiasm to do an episode on it just drained away. Partly because it, it had been covered on other Dylan podcasts, and I thought they did great jobs, yeah. and I was sort of a little yeah. like, well, I, you know, what am I bringing to this? Uh, but I just, it, yeah, it left me just quite. A, it was, it was like that paragraph I quoted. But the polyrhythms, but 300 pages of that, you know, this right. <laughs> is a little like, all right. Okay. I was thinking about like when you said, why do you like this song, Jason? Why do you like Mississippi? I could say, okay, because you're a guy and you're there and you're, you've just arrived in Japan in your suitcases and you're sweating. And then you're on the trains, you're on the platform and the train is coming and you don't even know what train to get on. And you're thinking there, you go, what am I doing here? And you know, you could go on like that, you know, you're, you're in frying pan in the fire. 
And now you think you remember a kiss and you're suddenly blown. You know, you go, what is he talking about? That's some of it. Don't put any of that in the show. Oh, that's all staying in. What are you talking about? I told <laughs> you, I don't edit out content, Jason. I just told you that. We, we don't. But just his weird riffs that don't make any sense. Right. right. You know? <laughs> so, all right. Oh, please all don't right. Put that in. Yeah, no, that's it. No, you said it. Too late. It's in here. So, uh, well, of course, Jason, thank you so much for okay. coming on. I always yeah, appreciate man. these talks. It's always so fun. Good luck with the book. And like I said, I look forward to having you back on for something from modern times. So, of course, you can find back episodes of this show <laughs> over on our website, findwaterpodcast.com. You can subscribe to the show on any podcatcher of your choice. And if you want to support the Find Water Podcast Network, just please go to patreon.com slash fwpodcasts like these fine folks did. Robert Ward, Steve Cronin, Max Hutzel, George Doherty, Joaquin Meckel, Paul Ruther, and Henry Bernstein. So that's going to do it. Thanks, everybody, for listening. And we will see you later. <laughs> Bye. Rosie. The riveter, keeps a sharp lookout for sabotage. Sitting up there on the fuselage, that little friend can do more than a milk can do. Rosie. The riveter, when they gave her a production, me, she was as proud as a girl could be. There's something true about red, white, and blue about R